This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We are very fortunate to hear next from an outstanding leader with such a lengthy resume that it would take the entire session to cover it all. Let me summarize by saying that she has spent an extremely distinguished career smashing glass ceilings and pioneering innovative leadership while protecting U.S. security and advancing U.S. values. In her current position, she directs a dedicated team to deter aggression, defeat threats, respond to crises, and to strengthen U.S. military partnerships with counterparts across the Caribbean and Latin America. We are deeply honored to have her address us today on climate action, regional security, and the road to the summit of the Americas. Please join me in welcoming Commander of the United States Southern Command, four-star General, Laura J. Richardson. General Richardson, the Zoom room is yours. Okay, thank you so much, Ambassador Bassett. Uh, I really, really appreciate the very warm introduction, and it's my pleasure to speak here at this forum today. But greetings from Washington, D.C. It's really nice here this time of year. Not too hot just yet, but I want to thank the Institute of the Americas and also the Scripps Institution of Oceanography and the University of California, San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy for organizing this really important forum. Many of you uh, might be wondering, why is a U.S. Army general speaking at the Climate Forum? Well, I'm here because climate change absolutely impacts our national security and the security of our partners and allies. Today, I'll talk about the Department of Defense and U.S. Southern Command specifically and what we're doing to take on climate change. So I have some slides that I want to show you. And so hopefully you can still see me speaking as well as see uh, the charts that I have. I have maps and all kinds of things uh, as I go throughout my presentation But first, let me take a step back and explain exactly what United States Southern Command does. And SOUTHCOM is one of six geographic combatant commands in the Department of Defense. Our area of responsibility includes 31 countries, 16 dependencies in Latin America and the Caribbean. We also have representatives from 11 allied and partner nations and 15 government agencies here at Southcom headquarters in Miami, Florida. Some of our priorities include countering the malign activity of China, Russia, and transnational criminal organizations in the region. But climate change especially is a threat that we are taking very seriously. This slide shows the results of a climate risk analysis that DOD conducted last year, which addressed all the threats climate change is causing around the world. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has called climate change an existential threat to our nation's security, and he called on the Department of Defense to act swiftly and boldly to take on this challenge. Also last year, DOD launched its climate adaptation plan, And this plan recognizes that climate change is affecting military readiness and drains our military resources. And so the plan identifies five lines of effort uh, to get after it. First, make make climate-informed decisions. Second, train and equip a climate-ready force. Three, build resilient installation infrastructure. Four, make our supply chains resilient and encourage innovation. And lastly, number five, enhance adaptation and resilience through collaboration. Latin America and the Caribbean are no exception. 
Hurricane season began 48 hours ago, and many of our regional partners have already been have already been victims of devastating hurricanes. Just a few weeks ago, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced that there will, will most likely be 14 to 21 named storms in the, in the Atlantic this year, and at least six major hurricanes. In November 2020, two Category 4 hurricanes, Eta and Iota, hit Central America back-to-back, -back, displacing nearly 600,000 people, destroying thousands of homes, decimating livestock and essential crops like rice, corn, and beans in Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. Drought is another major threat. About 8 million people suffer from food insecurity due to drought in the dry corridor. A thousand mile long geographic zone that runs through Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. Then there's rising sea levels, and our Latin American and Caribbean partners are particularly vulnerable to this flooding. A few months ago, I visited Barbados, where I met Prime Minister Mia Motley, who is a strong global voice for the Caribbean. At the UN Global Climate Summit last year, the Prime Minister said that a 2% rise in sea levels is a death, a death sentence for small island developing states. The Caribbean is also very vulnerable to hurricanes. Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas in 2019 and Hurricane Maria hit Dominica in 2017. These climate threats, hurricanes, drought, and rising sea levels are worsening economic and food security and contributing to irregular migration in the region. Just when you think these climate change threats are bad enough, there are also malign actors who are worsening environmental damage in the region. And the biggest culprit is the People's Republic of China. Today, 21 regional countries participate in, PRC, in the PRC's One Belt, One Road initiative. This provides PRC-backed loans for key infrastructure, such as ports, telecommunications, roads and bridges, agriculture cultivation, and mining projects to satisfy the PRC's own growing domestic demand in pursuit of a continued monopoly of critical minerals. But all too often, many of these PRC infrastructure projects contribute to deforestation, water pollution, or erosion. This slide is a specific example. And in 2016, Ecuador contracted a Chinese state-owned enterprise company called Sino Hydro to build a massive hydroelectric dam at a cost of 3.2 billion. Now fast forward to today, and that dam has 7,000 cracks in it. It's causing severe river erosion. The erosion resulted in the rupture of an oil pipeline spilling over 15,000 gallons of crude, which polluted the waters, destroyed the wildlife, and negatively impacted over 150,000 people. Needing a trusted solution, the Ecuadorian government contracted the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to fix it. The Chinese are also the largest offenders of the illegal, illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing in this region. When I meet with our Latin American and Caribbean partners in the region, IUU fishing is clearly one of their top three concerns. And the military in these countries are being asked to play a leading role to combat this illegal activity. This slide shows the sheer number of PRC flagged vessels operating in international waters near the Galapagos and the Exclusive Economic Zone, or EEZ, within their with their tracking devices on. 
However, they turn off their tracking devices to enter the EEZs to continue to raid the fish. Every year, there are about 350 to 600 vessels fishing in the area, severely depleting fish stocks, destabilizing the economies of, close, of coastal states, creating security challenges and costing the region nearly $3 billion in lost revenue annually. Fishing vessels also dump plastic waste, waste at sea, polluting Ecuador's Galapagos Marine, uh, Marine Reserve. They also violate state sovereignty by undermining international agreements and fishery conservation measures. And many of these fishing vessels are directly subsidized by the PRC central government. This slide shows the vessel's annual fishing patterns. Their paths are very predictable because they follow the fish. It isn't like tracking transnational criminal organizations where they keep changing up their routes to evade detection. And because these fishing vessels are predictable, we can easily track them and work with our partner nations to expose this malign activity and develop a coordinated response. I'll talk more about that later. Finally, we can't forget about how transnational criminal organizations or TCOs also contribute to the environmental devastation. I wanna focus your attention to the right side of the slide. TCO activities extend way beyond just cocaine. It includes illegal mining, illegal logging, illegal fishing, counterfeit goods, illegal wildlife, and human trafficking. All of that amounts to an estimated 310 billion, billion with a B, um, a year, more than many of the military defense forces budgets of our partner nations that try to combat them. All of these activities threaten regional security and increases instability. So what does U.S. Southcom do to boost our partner nation's climate defense? Our three lines of effort, strengthening partnerships, countering threats, and building our team. And let me focus on the first two in the context of climate defense. First, we take a very predictive approach to boost our partner nation's readiness before a natural disaster strikes. We conduct annual humanitarian assistance and disaster relief exercises like trade winds, we also remain synced up with regional organizations like the Center of Coordination for Disaster Prevention or SEPREDINAC, which is in Central America. In the Caribbean, it's the Caribbean Disaster Emergency Management Agency or SEDEMA. And then also in the Caribbean is the Regional Security System or RSS. Southcom has helped establish 66 emergency operations centers and disaster relief warehouses in 18 countries including Argentina, Barbados, Ecuador, Haiti, and Panama to, uh, to store and preposition much needed supplies after disaster strikes. We're not the only agency building our partner's capacity. USAID together with NASA is in the process of developing a Central American hub that will be used to support locally tailored climate resilient decision-making and disaster risk reduction, risk reduction planning throughout Central America. USAID is also working with farmers living in the dry corridor to support the transition towards climate smart agriculture and resilient land use practices that improve water quality and quantity. The US Army Corps of Engineers also helps strengthen our partner nation's capacity in the region, which in turn counters threats. US or USACE, as we like to call them, uh, works in concert with Southcom's strategy and also our priorities. In addition to helping Ecuador assess and mitigate the erosion caused by the PRC-built dam, 
USACE is also providing technical support to the Panama Canal Authority's multi-billion dollar water management project. They're also assisting Honduras with flood control, providing technical assistance to expand the port of Manzanillo in the Dominican Republic and setting up emergency operations center in Peru. Here are some more examples in South America, starting with Brazil. We're working with the National Water and Sanitation Agency on watershed development. The Army Corps of Engineers is working with Argentina, Brazil, Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay on a water resources database for the La Plata River Basin, which affects all five of those countries. In Chile, the Corps of Engineers is conducting IUU fishing, subject, uh, subject matter expert exchanges. And in Argentina, they are working on a river management project, which is vital to the Parana River. Through these U.S. Army Corps of Engineer projects, US, U.S. Southcom is offering viable alternatives to PRC-funded infrastructure projects, and they represent the highest standards of transparency and anti-corruption, financial sustainability, labor protections, and also environmental preservation. Second, when a natural disaster does strike, Southcom responds quickly to save lives. For example, when the 7.2 magnitude earthquake struck Haiti last year in August, we immediately stood up Joint Task Force Haiti to provide the command and control for the humanitarian response in rescuing 477 people, delivering 587,000 pounds of supplies, and conducting 671 total missions. This was all in support of USAID as the lead federal agency for the whole of government response. As I mentioned before, when hurricanes Eta and Iota hit Central America in 2020, Southcom's Joint Task Force Bravo also supported USAID by coordinating and rescuing 810 people, supporting 295 missions, and delivering 350,000 pounds of food, water, hygiene kits, and other life-saving aid. Third, to counter IUU fishing, we're working closely with our Latin American and Caribbean partner nations, NGOs and academia, as well as leveraging technology to track and expose these Chinese government subsidizing fishing fleets. Last year, the U.S. Coast Guard released its IUU fishing implementation plan, which stresses the importance the Coast Guard puts on this issue, calling it the number one maritime threat. That plan includes sharing intelligence with partner nations, enhancing the Coast Guard's counter IUU fishing operations and building multilateral coalitions to counter this threat. We know that the answer is not to build huge navies to patrol the seas, that's just not feasible, but Southcom has a memorandum of understanding with the NGO Global Fishing Watch so that we can share actionable information with our regional partner nations so that they can crack down on IUU, IUU fishing within their own exclusive economic zones. Let me give you an example. Uh, when certain fishing vessels intentionally shut off their automatic identification system for over nine hours, which suggests that they're up to something nefarious, we can share that data with our partner nations for them to act on it. Another crucial lever is that we must consider shiprider agreements which allow U.S. and partner nation law enforcement officials to intercept sus suspicious vessels in each other's territorial waters. Last year, we worked with Global Fishing Watch and Florida International University to organize a two-day IUU fishing workshop. 
We brought together some of the foremost subject matter experts on IUU fishing and over 3000 people attended virtually. Finally, we're playing a supporting role with initiatives that our regional partners are spearheading. A great example of this is the CIMAR, is the CIMAR initiative announced by Colombia, Costa Rica, Ecuador, and Panama at the UN Climate Summit last year. The CMAR links several existing marine protected areas and creates an uninterrupted, sustainably managed biological corridor spanning more than 500,000 square kilometers. The U.S. government is expected to sign an official MOU with these four countries to solidify our cooperation on CMAR next week during the Summit of the Americas. My point is this. Climate security is national security, and Southcom specifically plays a crucial role in climate defense and disaster relief. We're using a whole of government and whole of society approach, working with our partner nations, interagency, including the State Department, USAID, NGOs, industry, academia, and people from this audience to prepare, respond, and thrive in the face of these growing environmental threats. Regional collaboration and unity are absolutely essential in all of this. If we do that, I have no doubt that we can all work together as a team to defend our nations uh, under all conditions today, tomorrow, and for years to come. Thank you very much, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, General, for a very informative and comprehensive presentation on uh, Southcom's vigorous um, in, engagement on climate change and its um, impacts in the region. Um, I'd like to like to raise uh, just a sort of a platform question with you. You just said, you know, climate um, security is national security. Is that a perception that you find shared across the region? I think that you know, as I visit um, uh, all the different nations and the countries that are in the region, uh, 31 countries, 16 dependencies, and I meet with their leaders, uh, especially the military uh, or defense forces. They are extremely um, concerned, you know, in terms of having the ability to respond. And um, and clearly, what Sedema is doing and some Predanac and having those warehouses, putting prepositioned supplies together. Um, is it shared throughout the region? I think it absolutely is uh, in the countries that experience this, uh, specifically in the Caribbean and the Central America. And they're wanting to do more um, in order to protect themselves from it. And certainly, I think our Department of Defense uh, adaptation plan, you know, how we need to uh, train in extreme weather, we have to be able to encounter that, not be afraid of it, not wait for, until it passes. In some cases, you have to, you have to wait uh, on certain things to pass, but there are things that you can do to prepare for that and to harden yourself, so to speak, uh, against all the repercussions and impacts that are going to happen from climate change. I still think that there's more work to be done, obviously. Um, the, uh, this plan uh, just recently came out in Department of Defense, and so um, but it brings to light all of these sorts of things. And, uh, and I think that uh, we can just continue to improve over time um, when time really isn't on our side. So I, I think the urgency is there and it's good to develop all of these plans and, and figure it out, so to speak, as we, as we move forward. I'm speaking to you from California where we are officially in a drought. I know that Paraguay, Chile, and many other countries uh, in Latin America are facing, you know, that sort of back and forth between tremendously 
painful drought complicated by suddenly torrential rains that prompt devastating flooding. Um, specifically in Paraguay, which is where I used to work, um, the uh, levels in the hydroelectric dams that supply energy to both Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil in, in different conformations have reached alarmingly low levels. Um, energy insecurity, um, infrastructure damage as a consequence of climate change. Is this another component of that sort of climate readiness you talked about uh, in terms of the defense posture that uh, we take and that we encourage the region to take? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for that. Uh, our Corps of Engineers, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, just recently returned. They've been working on the the La Plata River Basin, as I mentioned in my remarks, and then uh, also the Piranha River um, uh, uh, and, and working with these three countries, so specifically Paraguay, Uruguay, and, uh, and uh, Argentina, but to uh, overcome the, uh, the drought issue and that sort of thing. But the, I look at all of these things as threats, so not just malign activity that I called out and exposed, but also um, drought, food insecurity, all of these things uh, all compete and, and contribute, I, I should say, um, to create uh, irregular migration. It puts, pe- it puts people, it puts families on the move. They don't have food security. They can't get food. They can't grow food. They're not going to stay there. And so this absolutely con- uh, contributes to the irregular migration, uh, the insecurity, the instability, uh, and it's it, it's just clearly another threat. And so um, we're working very hard with our partner nations to try and overcome that. Thank you. Yes, and I, I do just want to mention, because we are in a, in a global situation where the situation in Ukraine has also aggravated food supply, um, which again, yeah. as you say, clearly has uh, an impact on political stability. Um, in a region very close to, in fact, in your testimony on March 22nd, you call this our neighborhood, which I think is a great way to think about the region um, and our relationship to the region. Um, So thank you for that. Um, The Summit of the Americas is back in the United States after a very long period of time. Uh, The first one was hosted in 1994. And just next week, um, Los Angeles will host um, uh, the, the current Summit of the Americas. What are the opportunities you see in terms of um, raising awareness for the idea of climate change as a national security issue that requires a different posture from militaries? Yeah, so that's why it was really important for me to be able to speak to this forum. And so, uh, again, I really appreciate the invitation and just to share um, what we are doing and how we are trying to help our partner nations and work very closely with them. Also offering, you know, alternatives to um uh, projects that aren't done so well. Uh, we have a lot of activity in the region. Um, 25 of the 31 countries in the region have uh, One Belt, One Road initiative projects, infrastructure projects that are ongoing. Uh, 21 of the 31 countries have signed up to, uh, for the, the BRI initiative. And so um, just in terms of talking next week, um, all of those things factor in to uh, looking like there's investment in the region, um, but maybe not necessarily. When I go to climate change and that sort of thing, uh, and with Department of Defense's new uh, adaptation plan, and really getting after it, it, it really just um, it, it just kind of um, maybe expose isn't the right word, but it just brings to light that uh, that this is this is absolutely something that we need to deal with and we need to counter and we need to figure it out or it's just going to continue to cause insecurity and instability 
um, not just in my region, but uh, the entire globe. Thank you for that. We do have some questions from um, those who are watching your fascinating presentation. Um, And one of them is actually represented from Global Fishing Watch. Um, And I think that what your your relationship with them demonstrates is the importance of partnerships. Um, I was often forced to correct people who thought that sort of diplomacy and military engagement were different sides of a coin. But in fact, as you demonstrate, it's actually all of us holding hands together working in the same direction. Can you talk about your your partnership with Global Fishing Watch just a little more and how it happened that that, um, an NGO, as I understand they are, um, it became a Southcom partner? Yeah, so the um, thank you for that. We have uh, we have a wonderful relationship with Global Fishing Watch. And really, you know, as we were trying to figure out how to how to work this problem set as as we you know, the, the one slide that I showed just the sheer number of vessels, and that's just in one area. Uh, it's all um, around uh, the South American area and some of uh, Central America as well. So uh, it's clearly um, the PRC gets 36% of their food source from this, uh, from my region. And so, um, so quite honestly, in terms of we have a very close relationship with Florida International University, University of Miami, uh, and agreements. We have a huge intern program in, uh, in Southcom as well uh, with FIU. And so it just all fit naturally together. And so as we were looking uh, to ways to expose, um, really, we don't like to get the credit in Southcom for exposing malign activity. It's better come from presenting the information that we have. Um, to uh, folks that advocate for that particular problem and to the partner nations. And so uh, just as we were looking in terms of the, you know, what can we do about this problem and how do we, how do we provide the information to someone so they can expose it and get after it? Because our adversaries, they do not like to be exposed. And so uh, they don't like to be called out. And so the, that, that's absolutely what needed to, to be hap- uh, needed to happen uh, and uh, we continue to do that as we as we come across uh, this malign activity because we you know we have we already have COVID that has really run havoc over these uh, countries in the Southcom region, and uh, and they're still trying to dig out of the economic uh, impact of that. I like to say 8% of the world's population is in this region. They suffered 33% of the world's COVID deaths. Uh, 8% of the economies contracted and 22% of the populations are um, flung into poverty. And so when you just look at that and you have this going on with the fishing and the, the lack of, you know, or the lost revenue as a result of the IUU fishing, um, it's not right. And so that's what we, we try to be the trusted partner, the United States, and demonstrate that uh, time and time again with our partner nations and uh, just help them be able to, I like to say that we invest, we don't extract. And um, we have partners, we don't have clients. And uh, I can't say that about our adversaries. Fair enough. Um, speaking of adversaries, there is a question about Russia and Russia's role in the region. Yeah, so the, um, mostly what I uh, see, uh, the malign activity with Russia that uh, I like to get after uh, and uh, try to expose is the disinformation. Uh, a lot of the partner nations call it fake news. <laughs> I call it the, dis- the disinformation that, uh, that happens. And certainly Russia with the profound um, 
social media apparatus that they have with Russia Today, Espanol, Sputnik Mundo, over 30 million followers in this region. And quite honestly, as we know, young people get a lot of their information. They don't have cable. They don't have satellite. They have their phones, right? And they have streaming and they have social media. And this is how they get their information. And so what we try to do is do the exactly the same thing. Uh, we have agreements uh, that we work very closely with, uh, with the FBI. We work with our counterparts uh, to expose things that are happening maybe on Twitter um, that they try to act like that's uh, not associated with Russia or, or a particular country, but when actually they, they are, and we expose that to the, uh, to the task force who then works with um, the social media agencies to take down some of these sites and things like that if they're actually not really who they say they are. And so Twitter bots are another thing. And we see this popping up, this disinformation campaigns around the region, especially when there's an election coming up. And so, um, and as we know, propping up certain candidates that might uh, undermine or uh, just uh, in terms of the uh, undermine US uh, opinion or uh, uh, thoughts about a, a society about the United States completely undermining the United States in the social media space. And so um, we try to help our partner nations counter that as well, but uh, very active uh, in the disinformation side of the house. Thank you for that. And, you know, as I reflect on some of your answers, I realize that so much of what you're describing are actually shared challenges. The COVID experience, of course, was a, a global experience, but acutely felt in the United States as well as across the region. Um, the climate change, you know, there is not a, an isolated impact of climate change. You know, a, a hurricane in Central America prompts a migration challenge, you know, for the region uh, and that cascades in different ways across you know, the entire space. Um, and disinformation and those challenges with managing um, your your relationship with reality and those who try to manipulate um, is something, of course, we're very familiar with in the United States as well. And I do think this shared experience and this collaborative approach is something that has informed Southcom's engagement with the region so that it's mutually beneficial. Um, and um, particularly, I wanted to invite you to talk about the exercises um, that prepare um, and exercise all of our skill sets for disaster response. Because as I remember from my time, they were a learning experience, not just for our partner nations, but for us as too. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Thank you. And um, so we have, uh, we do eight exercises a year. And quite honestly, what I'd like to say is, uh, you know, the, for uh, our folks that are competitors in the region or adversaries, you know, they, they can't bring partner nations together. And so we just concluded trade wins and trade wins brought 21 different partner nations from the region together uh, to work interoperability so we can communicate with one another, how we counter, um, you know, the uh, line activity, how we respond to uh, disaster response and those kinds of things. And so, um, quite honestly, as we continue to train together uh, and work with each other, you really are working the, what I like to say, working the bugs out uh, in terms of when something really happens uh, for real. And we already know each other. We've already been working with each other. We've already been getting after it and getting more prepared and hardening ourselves to and themselves uh, to how to respond and how to um, 
how to just withstand uh, the impacts that are going to occur. And so really happy to do that. One other thing I want to highlight, Ambassador, um, that I think is just a huge strength in Southcom is, you know, I find the Western Hemisphere uh, a very collaborative group. And quite honestly, I think there are a lot of lessons learned um, and best practices, so to speak, that we have in Southcom. And I think, quite honestly, it starts with, uh, you know, I have a civilian deputy uh, that it's, uh, that's an ambassador. Uh, and uh, she's uh, Ambassador Jean Maines and uh, former, former ambassador to El Salvador. And, uh, and will be soon going on from Southcom to be an ambassador again. And, uh, and within the region, I mean, I've got uh, political advisors at all of my uh, commands. I have eight subordinate commands. And so, uh, and then we have DOD uh, teams, I call them the, you know, our security cooperation officer offices that work out of the U.S. embassies uh, in all of the countries as well, and work with our partner nations. So we have people forward deployed. And so just the relationship with, um, with the ambassadors the, uh, and the U.S. embassy teams within the region, and then also the Department of State is just really strong. I have uh, three liaison officers from USAID that are in my headquarters as well. Uh, I talked about the interagency uh, that's already in the headquarters. And then I also have foreign liaison officers um, from uh, 15 countries that are in my headquarters too. And so uh, it's really just a tremendous effort to work together. Um, Secretary of Defense has a term called integrated deterrence. So if we use every, every lever, I call it all the levers out there, work together, it's harder for, you know, the malign activity of others to penetrate that or whittle that down. And so I like to say that we, we use everything that's possibly available to be strong as partners and to help each other out, so to speak, in the neighborhood. And with the proximity to the United States, Mostly what happens in Latin America and the Caribbean ends up, you know, eventually coming to the homeland, to the United States. And so uh, it behooves us to work very well and very uh, collaboratively together. Right. And we're always mindful of the important trade relationships and interpersonal relationships that also link our region in very powerful ways. I have a uh, question that's, that's a little maybe science fiction-y. Um, in your posture statement in March, you talked about greening the military as well and looking at technologies that would allow the military to move forward in a more green fashion. And I think there might have been a solar-powered aircraft mentioned or some solar-powered capabilities. Um, and you suggested that Southcom was playing a leading role. Is it possible to share a little bit about how the military might be greening itself? Yeah, so I think the, you know, what I'd like to um, encourage all of the services within Department of Defense and other, um, other agencies uh, is to use, um, use the Southcom region where we're not in conflict, right? And we don't have adversaries maybe uh, paying attention so much uh, because it, it is a huge AOR, but that we can collaboratively innovate, test, you know, do laboratory kind of things. Uh, and test new technologies, right? And, um, and put them to use in real world missions uh, as well. And so um, just trying to get after that latest uh, innovation and in technology. We have several projects with all different kinds of agencies that we're working within the region. And, um, and quite also, I think it uh, helps to further advance, but also uh, at a quicker pace uh, because it's close. 
Uh, it's usually about the same time zone. And uh, so we can do a lot of things really close to, uh, to um, the United States that we can test and innovate on uh, in the Southcom region. And you find willing partners in the militaries there that are interested as well in, in developing oh, yeah. technologies? Absolutely. Because we, we, uh, we like to have what I call domain awareness, right? Uh, you got to be able to see things in order to understand what's, uh, who's coming in your AOR, what are they doing, are they nefarious, you know, like the slide I showed on the, uh, with the fishing vessels, right, and the tracking devices. We can all, we're also able to track if those uh, tracking systems are turned off um, and when they actually go inside the EEZ. So that's where... I don't want to give the impression that they all are, are minding their manners and staying outside the EEZ uh, because they uh, uh, will not hesitate to turn that tracking device off and enter into, um, into the country's EEZs to raid the fish. Thank you. Um, we're heading down to just our last few minutes. So I wanted to just invite you to reflect with us a moment on what you see as the greatest opportunity for um, sort of neighborhood uh, engagement as a whole on trying to help the entire region anticipate, um, mitigate, and perhaps um, respond to the effects of climate change and where you see the biggest challenge. So the biggest opportunity and the biggest challenge from your perspective um, related to the region and climate change and Southcom's very important role. Yeah, so the um, I think uh, quite honestly, as we as we continue to get after climate change and uh, and be able to prepare and and uh, and be ready for what's next, um, and certainly the weather and and climate change things that are happening are getting um, more impactful. And so, um, as we work with partner nations, it's being able to. Um, work with all of them, not just work with the ones that are close to where, uh, you know, Southcom's based out of Miami. And I recently did a trip about three, four weeks ago to Argentina and Chile. Well, Argentina is 10 hours away. And that's if you got a nonstop flight. And so the thing is, is that we, we clearly see there's a lot of activity down in the Southern Cone and the Strait of Magellan and the Antarctica area. And so uh, a lot more than people realize. And so um, we're very concerned about nefarious activity as well. And so as we proceed to work with our partner nations, um, just being able to be there for all of them um, when they need help, but uh, be that trusted partner. And so certainly you've got to be able to deliver on their needs too. You know, how do we help them out? How do we understand what they're going through? Um, certainly right now, you know, some of the sanctions that we have against Russia impact some of the, you know, countries in my region, the fertilizer, Brazil being able to get fertilizer for their country, um, Paraguay, the beef, right? Russia was uh, 30% of the uh, beef consumer. Well, they can't sell the beef to Russia anymore because Russia can't pay for it. So how do we, you know, just make sure some of those things that are happening right now don't further impact the country and countries. So um, quite honestly, I don't have all the answers to how to, to move forward, but we've got to move forward. We got to share that what we're doing uh, to, to, to prepare and, um, and uh, in the training of our military and defense forces against climate change, and then obviously help them uh, figure out how they can best respond as disasters occur. 
Thanks. I have been asked to just um, one follow-up question. You talked about the CMAR and that this would be an agreement signed at the Summit of the Americas. Um, if you could just um, help us if, uh, know if there are any other specific climate-related outcomes that you expect from the summit that would impact Southcom's engagement with the region, where CMAR the, the big ticket item. Well, CMAR is the one I'm tracking, and um, and as far as any others, uh, if there are that are rolled out and signed, um, I you know the uh, I'm a proponent for that, but the I don't know of any others right now. But um, I might not be fully in the know from Department of Defense <laughs> on the on those um, great things that are moving forward. But certainly they help in terms of like having an agreement, having a strategy. Uh, for going forward. And so, um, but really excited about the CMAR one. Yes. And I will say that from my experience, um, these uh, summits continue to work up until the last minute and you have surprising, but sometimes unexpected, but positive developments up until the 11th right. hour. So we will hope for that. General Richardson, you have been incredibly generous with your time and uh, incredibly insightful with your presentation. Thank you so much for honoring us with your presence and thank you for your service, um, not just to um, our country, but to our neighborhood. We're deeply grateful. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Ambassador. Thanks everybody. Thank you so much for the invitation. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.